Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. The service, but there's something tremendous that God is setting up for us. And so I want to ask the Lord to help us as we understand our role and I want you to really understand out of the gate that I'm going to be speaking to everybody in this house. I'm not just talking to a few. I'm going to speak to everybody. And I pray that something can be born in our heart if it's not already there. And so I want to talk to, about this from the level of spirituality. And then I also want to talk about it on the level of just practicality. Because I think that both have to play a role hand in hand. They must link together. And uh, we want the Spirit of the Lord to certainly move, but we also want to understand that we have a responsibility in practical applications of what the Spirit of God may speak or direct in our heart. Amen. With that said, I'm just going to ask us to pray and ask the Lord to touch His Word. Amen. And touch our minds to His Word. And let's make this journey together, shall we? Lord, I love you and I thank you for your goodness and I thank you for the privilege to preach, teach your Word. And I ask you tonight to help us as a congregation, Lord, to sit with an attentive spirit and let our minds be anointed of you and our hearts be anointed of your word. And I pray that we will be receptive, Lord, to your spirit in the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. I believe, and truly with all of my heart, that we are to pray for one another and to bear one another's burdens. I really believe that's part and parcel of what the church is all about, that we are to get under the load and to work uh, with and pull in the same direction as one another. Romans 15 and 1, the Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, not to just do this to our own good and edification or do this for our own vain glory. But verse number 2 says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And so we need to be looking out for the welfare of one another. Now, I realize and certainly I really appreciate what Brother Rayleigh said tonight. What a great way to just kind of capsulize and bring that into focus that no matter where we come from, no matter what we may bear upon us when we come into the church house we come into the worship service I believe that God has the ability to meet all of our individual needs and so understanding there are many times that we are uh, that we are here and we're almost overburdened with our own cares and, and our own our own affairs of life we must not be so caught up in that that we lose whether we lose sight of the fact that the enemy would use our own peril to distract us from the needs of someone else. And uh, 
And so when our son was young, and I believe even in elementary school, he was um, playing ball of some sort. I can't remember the young man's name, but uh, he was the smallest young man on the team by a long way. And uh, just very small frame, very small young man, but such a positive attitude. And so when someone would strike out or someone would, uh, would, would make a mistake of some sort, he was just hollering from the from the sidelines the whole time, shake it off, just shake it off. He was just, <laughs> he was just so positive and he was just there as a, he, he was just there, that, that little body and that voice, but he embodied such encouragement and strength. And so the reality was, uh, I think what the young man was trying to say, there's a game to focus on, so you got to shake what just happened off. And so with great deference to what you may be going through, I say this, that when we come to the house of God, we've got to shake it off because we're not just here for us to singularly get a refilling or refueling, but there are other very prominent needs in the house. And you know, there is nothing that is so strengthening as to minister to somebody else. At the time when you think you have the very least to give, that is often when God can just use you as a voice to speak into the life of someone else or pray over someone else. And in that, not only do you encourage and strengthen them, but you're strengthened yourself. And so I want to talk about the altar service itself. And uh, I think that too often the altar, the altar call or altar appeal or the end of the service, whatever we may want to title this, is many times deemed as the end of the service. And if we're not careful, we can pre-dismiss ourselves. And I say that a lot of times because sometimes when I say that, it's not just out of habit. But sometimes I feel people almost disconnecting. I mean, we've worked right to this place of, uh, of God wanting to do something. And you almost look around as people are gathering up their pocketbooks and their shawl and their children. And you're going, wait a minute. What, don't leave yet. Because God is about to do something. And so uh, if you do that, then we've missed the whole point of why we're here. We didn't just come to get our cup filled. But we came in order for the Lord to touch uh, the lives of others. Because I truly believe at the end of a service, it doesn't always have to happen, obviously, at the end of the service. But I believe at the altar service, it is time for power and demonstration to take place. Power and demonstration of what? Of what we've been talking about all the way up to that point. And I'm not just talking about the minister, but every song that's been talking about the goodness of the Lord, the strength of the Lord. When I was lost, he found me. When I was down, he lifted me up. When I was blind, he gave me sight. We've been singing about all of this stuff. People have been witnessing about all of these things. The minister has been now talking about all of these things. How anticlimactic it would be to just say, let's all stand and see you next time. That's the moment of power and demonstration in some form or fashion. Obviously, the power and the demonstration of God is not always electric. Amen. There are many times God's Spirit moves very subtly, but we need to let the power of the Lord move and affirm His Word at that particular moment. And so for those that are seeking after God in some fashion or form, whether that's saint or sinner, the altar call is not a sign of the end, but in all truthfulness, it's a sign of the beginning. <laughs> That's where great things can happen. It's the start of a new day for someone. Hey, an altar call was the start of a new day for every one of us. At some point in our lives, it was the start of a brand new day 
in our lives. I'm glad that everybody didn't pick up their pocketbook or their Bibles and walk out. When I needed the Lord, I'm glad everybody didn't just check out. I'm glad somebody stayed connected to what the Spirit of the Lord was doing in that hour. And so for the church, this is an opportunity for one-on-one ministry. It really is. And the Bible talks about the ministry. Therefore, we, we all having received this ministry, we faint not. And I believe that the ministry of the, of the church is for the church and not just for uh, those that are given to a pulpit ministry. And the Bible talks about these signs shall follow them that believe. And so when we have the power of the Holy Ghost, we have the anointing and the, and the authority of God in our lives to pray a prayer of faith that can change the lives and the futures of people. Amen. You have that power. You have that power. And so for the most part, the church is the delivery room. Amen. The altar service certainly is the 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 delivery room for the church and so the altar call usually consists of two parts and that is the appeal which generally follows the preaching and I'm speaking in very general terms because we know that God can move anytime, anywhere amen and then the altar itself it's at this point that the church should automatically respond at the end of the service the church should respond amen I believe and have taught for many years and it's been our practice for the most part that we respond by coming down to the front. I often say let's close with family prayer. Amen, there's a reason for that. I believe that for one thing, I think the church needs to respond to, the, to what we've just experienced, whether that was the worship, the word, whatever it may have been. But when the church steps out, it automatically provides a comfort zone to help others feel enough courage for they themselves to step out. I mean, very few people just want to make that lonely walk by themselves. And so when the church, when we step out, it creates a comfort zone for everybody else that may have a need. And so the church uh, should move. We should respond to the preached word. If we want other people to respond, we should respond. (laughs) Amen? And so when we don't respond, what we're saying to everybody else is, that preaching wasn't for me. That message wasn't for me. That must have been for you. And so we kind of put it off on somebody else. And if there's no conviction among the saints... I've said this for almost 26 years now. If there's no conviction among the saints, there certainly will be no conviction among the sinner. If we're not moved by the word of God, then we are out of our minds to think somebody else is going to be moved by the word of God. And so the altar service should bring into focus everything that has happened up to that moment. The worship, the music, the preaching of the word, it ought to all blend together to a great crescendo in the end. What a moment. Let's think about it. What a moment. Souls are hanging in the balance. I don't want to be worried about where I'm going to eat. I don't want to be worried about what I have to do next. Because eternity for someone is hanging in the balance. It's right here Right at that moment, people are making decisions that will affect their eternity. Amen. And I I believe that we have the ability to influence the atmosphere. We can't make people do anything. And I'm not trying to at all even insinuate that. But I'm going to tell you that if going home or getting out of here is the general consensus, that that attitude is in the atmosphere. Amen. You ever been talking to people and they were just, they were leaving the conversation the whole time? I mean, they were still standing there. 
but they were already checked out. They were just, they were leaving the whole time. And so you, you pick up on that. You feel that. And so if we don't give the impression that, if we give the impression that this is it, then everybody's going to get the clue, this is it. Let's all gather up our things as well. But when we realize that we're entering into another important part of the service, and I, I don't want to number things at all, but I've often heard and I concur with preaching being the most important part of a service and, and so not to minimize anything else, but if preaching is the most important part of the service, I think a close second to that would be what's going to happen at the end of the service. Amen. That's not to minimize anything that took place before that, but we're talking about eternity here. Somebody is making a decision, and I'm, I'm going to tell you that there are people that I personally know that have been in church one time, to my knowledge, at least in this church one time, and they've never been back. And so we've got, uh, we've only got just a, a little bit of time. If that's the case, if that's the case, and I've often been convicted about this. The Lord gave me this in prayer many, many years ago. And I, and, uh, I was thinking about just the lifespan of man that the Bible talks about 70, or if by reason of strength there be 80. And if somebody only came to church one time, that means we only have an hour and a half or two hours or whatever to affect someone's eternity. I hope we're not playing church. I hope that we're not playing church. I hope that, that when they are at that moment that there is, there is something in the atmosphere that is affirming and confirming what they feel in their lives at that very moment because eternity is in the balance. There is not nor will there ever be a more important moment in any given service. And so we've got to realize one very important thing about an altar service and that is that what is, what is about to happen applies to everybody in the congregation and not just a few. Church is not a spectator sport by any stretch of the imagination. And so we need to develop a habit of participating in every altar service in some way, in some fashion. We must pray that conviction will be produced in the hearts of everybody. Certainly people that are unsaved, we want to pray that conviction will be stirred in their heart. And so we have to pray that God will help us. Now, I believe that, that the more you do anything, the more comfortable you're going to be with that. And the more accurate you're going to become with those things. And so to be an effective altar worker, there's one thing you need to realize up front. When we use the term altar worker, that's not just a random term. It's real work. When you're praying with somebody in the altar, that is real work. Amen. It, it is spiritual. It is a spiritual battle. I've, I have left an anointed altar service and been so literally drained that I could hardly walk away. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not embellishing. I'm talking about the anointing of the Lord when you have prayed. And my wife and I have had this discussion many, many times when we've gone home after a service where the, the Spirit of the Lord has been so moving and, and compelling and you've been praying with people. There's a passage in Luke's gospel, I think, that, that fits this appropriately. The Bible talks about the woman with the issue of blood that pressed her way through the crowd and touched the hem of the garment of the Lord. And in the midst of that throng of people, he said, who touched me? And they asked him, what do you mean who touched you? I mean, look around. There's all kinds of people that are touching you. And he said, but I know someone touched me because I perceive that the, uh, that the virtue has gone from me. It has gone out of me. The word virtue there means authority. Or in other words, the, in this particular case, the woman with an issue of blood, the authority over that issue of blood came out of Jesus and into her. 
Now, I don't want you to think that I'm getting off in something weird, but I truly believe what I'm teaching here tonight. I believe that when Jesus sensed the authority flow out of him and into her, there was something physical that took place. And I believe that when we pray and intercede for those that we are praying for, that the power and the authority over the sin that is in their life or the struggle that is in their life, amen, that Holy Ghost begins to move from us into them. I believe in the spirit of impartation. I believe in that with all of my heart. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Amen. We're not just talking about somebody with a crutch or someone with a cane or someone that's bowed over, but the strong spiritually ought to bear the infirmities spiritually of those that are weak. And so when we begin to pray and intercede, there is the power of God that can, be in, that can be imparted into their life. I've quoted this often, but Paul said in Romans 1, I long to see you that I might impart. Amen. I, I didn't just come to talk to you. I didn't come to sing. I didn't come to play my guitar. I didn't come to entertain. But Paul said, I have come to impart something into you. And when I am finished, your life and your walk with God is going to be established. Amen. Paul was speaking with great confidence. I didn't just come with a sermon. I came with a message. I came with something to give you. And so we have to understand that. So for an altar worker, the blessing comes whenever those that are praying begin to experience victory over the condition that's in their life, whatever that may be, whatever's holding them back. And so our reward or your reward in praying for them, that strong one, is whenever you begin to see that those people experience a breakthrough in their lives. Too often, we go through life completely unaware of things that are around us until something happens that wakes up or brings an awareness. Have you ever noticed that when you when you buy a different automobile, trade cars or whatever, you ever notice how many people are, are driving the same brand car that you're driving? It's crazy, ain't it? The ink wasn't dry on your contract before everybody and his brother ran out and bought the same brand. The truth of the matter is, is that something happened in your life that brought an awareness. Someone that spends their life in carpentry they're forever a marked person, a marked man or woman because they can't walk into a building. They notice everything. Why? Because they've exposed themselves to something and so there's an awareness. What they do for a living is an awareness and, and so they, 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 their occupation has developed awareness in them and so in the same way, developing a sense of awareness during an altar service is something that needs to be cultivated. Something needs to happen in our lives to give birth to that, that we can have this awareness that God is about to do something. I, I, I've been in services where I heard someone say, man, I feel the presence of the Lord and I didn't feel anything and that concerned me. Because if somebody's feeling the Lord and I'm not feeling him, then I had better start doing some inventory in my life and figure out what I got to shove out of the way to feel whatever they're talking about. I want to bring an awareness. I want to I wake something up. And so uh, there's something that needs to be cultivated in our life, something that needs to be awakened. And so no longer does this mean that the service is about to end but to somebody that is a real altar worker. I'm talking about, amen, instead of, instead of this being the end of a service, they're ready for a whole new world to open up. I personally believe that, that being alert for an altar service begins way before the preacher says in closing. 
I believe that preparation for an altar service begins when service begins. And again, I'm not speaking to an elite few. But I believe that every saint of God needs to be focused on what's going on in the service. Is somebody being ministered to? Is somebody here in need? Is there a need? And so from the very beginning, we need to be focused on the needs that are present there in that service and tap into what God wants to do in that service before we go home. Amen. Revelation 22 and 17, and I, I preached on this some time back. I was greatly impacted by a message that gave birth to this in my own life. But the Revelation 22 and 17, the Bible says, the spirit and the bride say come. And I don't want to re-preach that message here tonight, but I do want to just underline this part, that it's not just the spirit that draws people to the Lord, but the bride, which is the church. The, the, the spirit needs to be saying come, but if the spirit is saying come and the bride is saying go home, if the spirit is saying come this way, but the bride is trying to go that way, then we've got a great conflict of interest. And so the scripture says that the spirit and the bride say come. And so at the conclusion of a service or wherever God chooses to move in our service, there needs to be the spirit of the bride that says come. You're, you're welcome here. And we want to give birth to that. that. There should be a spiritual compelling from the church and from the spirit. Does that make sense? Amen. That will only happen if the bride is tuned in to what is trying to be, uh, what is going on in any given service. On the day of Pentecost, I think the central thing, uh, theme that we can find on the day of Pentecost is that they, they were all together in one place, in one accord, one mind. And so unity marked this group that was in the upper room. They pulled together, and because of that, God did some marvelous things in their midst. And so likewise today in services, we need the unity of the church and we need the unity of the spirit. And so just as ministers, ministers, I believe, become anointed to preach the gospel, I believe a congregation needs to be anointed to receive the, the message. Amen. Not just that I would be anointed to preach the message, but there needs to be anointing to receive the message. I've said... A lot of times, not just here, but there have been times that I've been anointed of the Lord, but I wasn't anointed of the congregation. And that's a sad, sad intersection to stand at. There is, I also believe that there is, a, there is a such thing, and I'm using the word anointing here in a very, very loose fashion, but I believe that you can be anointed of a congregation and not anointed of God. Amen. Just have a fan club. That's right. Again, I'm, I'm almost abusing the word anointing. So forgive me here, and I hope you don't think this is sacrilegious, but I think that's what happens a lot of times in concerts and things of that nature. There is, there is an energy that's coming from the crowd, and God has nothing to do with that. And so we've got to make sure that we're not just anointed of a congregation and not anointed of God. But let me wrap all of that up by saying this. There have been many more times than not I've been anointed of God and anointed of a congregation. And when those two intersections come together, God can do mighty and marvelous things. And so we need to be anointed of God. And so the church should respond to the preaching of the word of God. I don't mean trying to turn it into an amen or hallelujah fest, but I believe the church should respond to the preaching of the word of God. 
We shouldn't just sit there uninterested, unimpressed, unenthused, but we should respond to the Word of God. We need to strive to create the very best atmosphere possible in which a person can be touched and their life can be changed. And so in order to do that, we got to maybe get our eyes off of us and our eyes on someone else and realize that God wants to minister to someone else. Isaiah 27 or Isaiah 10 and 27 talks about the the anointing that destroys the yoke. And so we've got to have the anointing of God. And so we need to do everything within our power to create an atmosphere where the anointing of God can move. Now God is not the author of confusion. And so we want to have a plan. We want to have an atmosphere that is conducive for the spirit of the Lord to move and minister in our midst. And so when the altar call takes place, I believe that every child of God should follow the leading of the Lord. And if you feel prompted to go to someone that's under conviction, you need to do that very respectfully and you need to do that very discreetly. And you know, sometimes just a gentle offer to go down and pray with somebody is all it takes for someone to move. Amen, but let me, let me just really in bold capital letters, red, underline, yellow, highlighted say, make sure you've heard from God before you do something like that. Never try to coerce somebody to the altar. If they say no, amen, now hear me all the way out. If they say no, we need to respect their response. Furthermore, when you respond and they refuse, you are no longer accountable. You have done all you can do. Now, I, I'm not trying to sound like a know-it-all, but take it from somebody who knows what he's talking about. I've closed my Bible way more than one time and watched people just walk right out. And I say this without callous, please don't, don't think that at all. Because there are nights I can't even go to sleep. I'm so troubled about it. But I have to realize that I did all I could do. I, I, I preached the word. I did everything within my power. And then I have to say, Lord, the rest of this is in your hand. And so when you respond and someone says, no, thank you or whatever, you're no longer accountable to God for that moment. You have done all that you know how to do. You did what you could. They said yes. They said no. You've got to let them know that simply you're praying for them. You just have to move on. Is that all right? <laughs> because undue pressure has caused people to not come back. And that's not what we're after. That's not our goal. The altar call is a, is a process. As it progresses, we need to watch for the people that are needing assistance in prayer. It's usually much better, I think, for men to pray with men and women to pray with women. I, I think there's exceptions to that, of course, and family or friends or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, I think that um, most people that are going to be more comfortable in an atmosphere like that and uh, never leave somebody praying alone. Lord help me, I know that we're not, we have, I don't, we've got a lot of problems, but I don't think that's one of them. I'm thankful for that. When people come down, even for prayer, people just begin to move out, and that is a wonderful, wonderful habit. And because of the, the support of people around you really helps, it, it helps that process, I, I mean that. There are other elements of the altar work that I would like to address, and I'm not really aiming these comments in any one direction because this is a Bible lesson for all of us. Depending on the past circumstances of an individual that's praying or what their exposure to Pentecost may be, we need to really avoid using a lot of 
Pentecostal jargon that somebody may be familiar with. And we may know what we're talking about, but they have no clue. We can't just assume everybody knows all the little inside words. <laughs> Amen. Some people don't know what you mean when you say let go. Amen. Some people are very analytical and very practical, and they're they're instead of praying, they're they're now trying to figure out what to let go of. And so, again, depending on somebody's background, you you never know what people have heard, and a lot of strange things have been said about Pentecost. I remember I remember meeting someone many years ago, and uh, he was raised in, a, in another persuasion, and he heard all of his life. He said, "Don't go to a Pentecostal church." He said, "Because when you get there, they'll they'll." throw wiffle dust on you remember that they'll throw wiffle dust on you and so he was it he was it he did I don't even know what wiffle dust is <laughs> and uh, he said that I couldn't even enjoy the service I was waiting for somebody to sprinkle something on me so you don't know what someone has heard or what they've been exposed to and so I think you got to take all these things into consideration I'm not trying to put us in a box I'm trying to let us out of a box but we've got to understand that everybody didn't travel the same road to get here that we travel. And uh, I remember several years ago, uh, there was a, a young lady that received the Holy Ghost and, and uh, someone was giving her a, a Bible study. Uh, and, and so somewhere right early on in the middle of the Bible study, she asked, who are all these people that Brother Boy's talking about? She said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, who is Moses and who is Noah? And who, who are all these people? And this was a young lady that was not raised in church. And she, she, she had no biblical background whatsoever. She wasn't raised in school. And so uh, the lady in our church just stopped the Bible study and went and, uh, in one of the storage rooms and got some old vacation Bible school material and just sat down with an adult and started teaching them practical applications of the Lord and just started all the way back from the book of Genesis and it must have worked because she's still around. So we can't assume that everybody traveled the same road to get here that we travel. And so, uh, you know, we've just heard a little bit of it all through the years, but we've got to be very, very careful that we don't get caught up in that. Anybody can develop, I think, an altar uh, ministry awareness. I believe that this is a call for the whole church, not just for a few. Part of it's going to come through practice, and part of it is going to come through the leading of the Spirit. And if you're worried about getting it wrong, I can just let you off the hook. You will. But you'll learn. We'll learn. We've made, I've made bumbling mistakes, but that's, that, that's how you learn. Amen. God will, God's just looking for somebody that's available. Webster's Dictionary defines discernment as this, to see or to make out through any senses, to perceive with the mind, and to have insight or understanding about a person, a situation, or a problem. And so we need to have discernment, the spirit of discernment. And working in the altar includes a combination of, of observation by the altar worker and, and, and a spirit of discernment of what the spirit of the Lord is trying to do in a person's life. And uh, in view of this, there's a few things that we need to observe or, or di- ways that we can discern. I think we can, we can observe someone's response. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but as someone prays or worships, we can just you can just observe how they're how they're doing that. If someone's weeping, for example, it may indicate that they're still repenting, and you don't want to speed up that process. 
Don't rush through repentance. That's an important, that is an important part. That's dying out. Amen. And so we don't, we don't want to just rush through that. And uh, I don't know that there's a time limit on that, but I'm just saying you don't want to push somebody through that. Whatever they feel like they need to die out to, we need to let that process take place. We need to listen to what somebody may be saying to discern the progress of where they are in, in their prayer, to be open then to the leading of the Spirit of God. And, you know, the Lord can prompt you to the right time to help somebody move from repenting to seeking for the Holy Ghost. You know, because the devil is a sly old fox. And he'll, he'll let somebody stand till three in the morning saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And at some point, we have to have enough discernment to realize that this is time that we need to, we need to help them engage into another level of this. You altar folks need to help me out here for just a moment. The Holy Ghost can help you detect if there's something that when someone's praying that they're coming up against. And many times the enemy will use anything to distract. I've told this story many times in many places, but it doesn't take away from the truthfulness of it. Many years ago, I was praying for a man in Louisiana, and uh, he just kept getting right to the place of, uh, of almost speaking in tongues, and he would just stop instantly. Was just, and then in a, a moment, he would pray right back to that, that moment, and then all of a sudden, he would just stop. And, and I just felt impressed with the Lord that something is hindering him. And I just felt to just lean up in his ear. And I told him, I said, there is something that's hindering you from absolute victory. And whatever that something is, if you know what it is, you need to do something about it. And uh, I was just, that was a private thing. I just kind of leaned up where I could talk to him. And when I said that, I'm not trying to be humorous, but this is what happened. But when I said that, he reached in his mouth and pulled out his top plate of teeth, stuck them in his shirt pocket, and just lifted his hands and began to speak with other tongues. And he told me after church, he said, every time I would almost speak in tongues, he said, my teeth would come out. And so I, I had to stop. And so everything that takes place is not spiritual. <laughs> but the enemy will use anything that he can. And so sometimes it's a little more difficult than just pulling your teeth out. If that's, that sounds, <laughs> that, that didn't come out right. <clears throat> You may want to try to fix this somehow, but whatever it may be, we need to deal with that. So once you determine where someone is in prayer, you can pray accordingly alongside. I'm going back to to Romans 15 and 1, that the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And when you discern where someone is in prayer, we can pray alongside them accordingly. I don't want to get caught up in too many personal stories, but I remember Brother Keller, Gary Keller, telling the story at a men's conference about a gentleman that came to, to talk to him one afternoon, and, and he said, you know, we, we talked right up to prayer time. They were, their men had, were gathering for a few nights of prayer. And so he said, I just told him, I said, it's time. Our men are coming, and you're welcome to join us in prayer. And he said, I knelt down at his chair, and he didn't realize the man had followed him all the way to the platform and just knelt down in the chair beside him. And so as he began to pray, Brother Keller began to pray, he realized that this man was repeating everything he was repeating. Whatever Brother Keller said, that's what he said. So Brother Keller just started repenting. He said, Lord, I want you to forgive me of my sins. And this man just said, Lord, I want you to forgive me of my sins. He didn't know. He was just a young and innocent baby. But hear me. The strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And through praying and being sensitive to the Spirit, Brother Keller came along beside him in the Spirit and prayed this man through to repentance. And he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost that night in the service. Isn't that incredible? 
being sensitive to where someone is. And so once a person is through praying, it's, I think, important to talk to them about baptism. Again, um, we shouldn't apply undue pressure. We have to let the Spirit of the Lord lead them to that. But we need to know, let them know it's the will of God for them to be baptized. And not only that, when they're ready, we're ready. Amen. If someone does not pray, there may be a variety of reasons for that. So it may be the lack of knowledge or the fear of what they're feeling. And so it's okay to stop and just tactfully uh, just speak with them. I've, I've just asked people to stop. I want you to look at me and let me talk to you just a minute. And just start asking them some questions or just talk to them about what I feel that they're feeling in their life. And, and many times that works. And, and maybe it's a fear. They don't really understand that what they feel, that's the Lord, and it's okay. It's okay to be feeling that. Or uh, sometimes despite our very best efforts, people just will not or they do not respond. And so when this happens, we need to be kind and then move on to the next person that may be praying, uh, which brings me to another point. We really need to discern. Hear me, please. We really need to discern when the spirit of prayer has lifted. When the spirit of prayer has lifted from someone, then we need to know how to transition them back into the next order of whatever. The next order of service is somebody's praying in the middle of a service. Somebody comes down and, and the spirit of prayer lifts. We, somebody needs to be proactive in knowing how to bring that to an end, not offensively, but how to transition them back to the service. And, you know, there's, uh, I'm sure, a dozen scenarios here, but I always try to admonish people if the spirit of prayer is, is lifted and I'm there and I happen to be the one praying with them or in, in close proximity to that, then I just try to tell them, you know, what you've received so far, don't let go of that. We're going to go on with the service. Let's just go back and but hold on to this and let's build on that. Don't let don't feel defeated. You know, you want to encourage them. Don't let them feel like they're walking away with nothing. Amen. But if we're not careful, well-meaning saints will just keep praying, 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 and pressing the issue, and the spirit of prayer is gone. And when it's gone, it's gone. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind at all, but but there, there are times that we just got to know when to let go and when to move on and sometimes when to let go literally. Amen. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. But I've seen people that are just called in the clutches of someone that won't let go. And if we're not careful, they're not going to come back down because they're going to say, you know, the last time I went down, I was there two hours. And nobody would let me go. And so we need to be very careful that we don't press through. We've got to have discernment. We've got to exercise wisdom and learn how to understand when the spirit of prayer has lifted. It doesn't mean the spirit of prayer is never coming back. It doesn't mean that person's never going to have another chance. But for that moment, again, this will come through experience and the leading of the Lord. And, and, and I'm not teaching on this subject tonight to press people into a shell. As I said a moment ago, I'm teaching on this so that we can come out of a shell and understand but we need to understand what we're doing. Understand what we're doing. You, you, I said earlier, you may make mistakes, but the good news is, is that we learn from our mistakes. Of course. Praying, when we're praying with, with people that uh, are right there at that moment of receiving the Holy Ghost, as a, as a person being used of the Lord, we need to learn how to focus our prayer 
when we are praying with that person. Aimless, nonchalant prayers are not going to help someone that's in the throes of trying to allow God to give birth to something. I think we've got to be anointed of God to pray specifically, to be, to, be, uh, to be focused in our prayer. When you have faith in God's ability to fill a person with the Holy Ghost, that's going to come across in the way you pray. Amen. And so there are some basic things that I, I think will help us when we're praying for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If someone's in experience of some problems and areas of repentance, uh, just pray along with them, as I mentioned earlier, and always allow time for a person to repent. I, I just can't underline that enough. That is such an important part of coming to God. It really is an important part. I get really nervous when people just minimize repentance. My goodness, repentance is dying out to our old self. And, and, and again, we need discernment. There's the, I, I know that when, uh, when Nathan came to David and said, Thou art the man, I mean, that's a, that's a, as we read it, is a very quick moment. But I believe that David had fully repented of everything that he had done. And so I'm not saying that it's going to take seven minutes or nine minutes or seven days or nine days. But when a person is repented, then they ought to be encouraged to begin to praise the Lord. Because again, the enemy will use our own past to beat us to death. And so if the enemy can catch us in a state of sorrow, he'll use our own past to beat us to death spiritually. And so that can happen. And that's why somebody that altar has got to have discernment to when the enemy is now just having pleasure. Amen. There's a time now we need to just praise the Lord and magnify him. Walk them through the fear or the lack of understanding of what they're feeling at that moment. And uh, you know, everybody's cut out of a different piece of fabric and that's a good thing. But so what, what moves some, what stirs some hinders others and we've got to have discernment of God and so when somebody begins to speak with tongues and maybe they're a little bit resistant to that because they don't understand just encourage them to obey what they feel amen and here's the here's the bottom line they will speak with other tongues you did <laughs> and they will speak with other tongues because that's not our idea it's God's idea and so that's not our method, it's God's method. And so when somebody has received the Holy Ghost, you, we need to congratulate them, so to speak, on that new experience in their life, but encourage them to know that this is just the beginning. And I'm a strong advocate about, of what I'm about to say. As a matter of fact, I'm a pretty strong advocate of everything I've said up to this point. But don't ever tell somebody they got the Holy Ghost. They need to be the ones professing the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, I want to. I, I'm, I'm going to get caught up in another personal story, but I'll uh, one more, one more for the good times. I was in a service many years ago in a faraway, distant place, somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole. And my wife and I had had uh, gotten to the service, and the uh, the building was full. We were sitting in the back, and that gave me a visual to, to experience what I'm about to tell you. Apparently there was, it looked like to me, I think I did find out later that it was a, a group of girls, teenage girls from, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if it was some kind of, uh, I want to say jail or whatever, but juvenile detention center or something. And they were in the service. And, and so we had been watching them all during the service because they were sitting right where we were sitting. And man, they would have rather been on Mars 
than to have been in that service. They were bored out of their ever-loving minds. And they just had this very disrespectful air about them. And so at the, end of, at the end of the service, they had an altar service, and we had gone down to the front, and my wife and I had returned back to our seats in a little while. And, and then from the front, somebody, I guess whoever had brought them, began to just coerce them. Down, come on, just come on, come on, come on. And so these girls, I mean, their body language just told it all. I mean, they were just mad. They were just put out, and they went marching down to the front. And it just so happened, I did not do this on purpose, it just so happened that I looked at my watch when they walked down there, and in about five minutes they were back. And someone told them they got the Holy Ghost. And they came back with the same attitude that they walked down there with. Now here's the danger in that. Somewhere along the lines, those girls are going to come into adulthood and somebody's going to say to them, I'm just giving you a hypothetical, you know what you need is the Holy Ghost. And they're going to be able to say, you know, I tried that already, and that did nothing for me. That's just one reason that you should never tell somebody they got the Holy Ghost. Amen. When somebody gets the Holy you don't have to tell a child that they've been born. Amen. There's going to be evidence that they're born. And so we need to congratulate somebody, thank them, you know, whatever, celebrate that moment with them, but they need to be the ones professing that they receive the Holy Ghost. If they stood and spoke in tongues an hour and a half, I don't say anything. I want them to be the ones to acknowledge and embrace that experience because they need to take ownership for themselves. This I'm sorry, I'm going to probably sound really out of date and out of tune and out of style, but this, my friend, is not a numbers game. This is about people being born. Amen. This is about children living. Amen. This is not, not it, you know, I'm going to leave that alone. We need children to be born, and they need to live Amen. And, and so let the Spirit of the Lord do the work. Let's don't get caught up in, in all of that. There are times when a person, for whatever reason, does not receive the Holy Ghost the first time they pray. So it's important to explain to them that they should, they should just build on this experience as well as any other experience. They've not wasted their time not to feel embarrassed. And I, tell, I, tell, I use this example that my sister-in-law was in labor for 36 hours or something like that and had her child and my wife was in labor a couple of hours. And so, you know, you, you can't ever tell. The same family, same, same genetics, same everything. So you, you don't ever know. Some children are born just in a moment. Some are just born after many, many hours of labor. And who can explain that? Doesn't mean anything's wrong with the mother. Doesn't mean anything's wrong with the children. It's just how it is. And so let that be uh, just something that we can use. And if our musicians will come, that will help everybody, probably even including me. Amen. Sometimes you're praying with backsliders. Most common thing you face when you're praying with backsliders is their own inability to believe that God will forgive them. And so we have to have discernment. We need to have scriptures. John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
We need to arm ourselves with these scriptures and many such like when we're praying with someone, the word. And so whether a person is coming to the Lord for the first time or returning to the Lord, the key element to restoration, again, is repentance. David said in 86 and 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And so we need to be reminding people that God is just standing there waiting to forgive. Forgive. And so Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. I talked about spiritual application real quickly. I want to talk about practical applications. We should never underestimate the value of personal hygiene. Amen. When you're praying with people, you know why? Because the enemy will use anything he can to distract and take away from the moment. And so it's always helpful, handy, suggested to have breath mints and things of that nature. I can't understress that common sense just goes so far. It's a shame it went out of style. <laughs> Amen. Common sense can go so far. It really can. Remember, people have feelings, and they may not understand what, what they're experiencing. And so we need to do everything on our part to arm ourselves to not give the enemy a sword and not give the enemy a reason to, to be distracting. And so our proper actions can help people, and it can help ease their fears. It can help answer their questions. And so when praying with someone that's extremely shy, I think it's very important to not be overly aggressive. Some people need to space. And so when you're praying with someone like that, I know that we have to be proactive and, and, and we, want, we want to see something happen. And it's hard. It really is. Isn't it hard to harness all that desire? <laughs> yes, it is. But remember this. Everybody, including you, and certainly including me, we have this space around us. And we're very comfortable as long as everybody's out of that space. But when somebody's in that space, even for a good reason, we want to know why you're there. <laughs> any parents here just, this is probably the story of many parents, but any parents here just, just you're just dead asleep. And all of a sudden you just open your eyes and your child is just... They're just, they're just right there. Just shave six years off your life right there on an instant. You are dead to the world, but they got in your space, and something says something's in my space. I gotta, I gotta come out of this coma and see what it is. And so we have this space, and so we be very careful that we don't violate that. And and uh, I, I, we just need God to help us to have wisdom and. You know, you, you don't know. But we just pray that God will give us the wisdom that we need for those moments. I think the altar should be filled with praise and worship. Amen. An atmosphere of victory. <laughs> Encourage people to worship ever how they're comfortable. Amen. Worship how you're comfortable and just worship the Lord. If someone's in a rut of just kind of repeating the same thing over and over and over again, we have to help them out of that. Amen. And we need discernment and wisdom as to how to do that. And God can and will help us along the way. Now, I'm speaking.
collectively to a congregation intentionally because I don't think this is just something for a few. This is the responsibility of the church. And so we can't, when somebody's down in the altar praying their heart out, I don't get it when Holy Ghost-filled people are just sitting back. I don't get it. To some degree, some way, somehow, we need to be engaged. Now, I've got enough sense and, and, and a logical enough mind to realize everybody can't be in somebody's face. But we need to be engaged somehow. I believe that while people are there to comfort and to help someone pray and do all these things that we've been talking about tonight, I believe that some of the church needs to be interceding because there's a spiritual battle that's going on. A spiritual battle that's going on. Hell doesn't want to let go. Eternities in the balances. And God help us not to just be checked out and just kind of waiting for it all to wrap up. But somewhere, pray. There are times, and I'm not uh, trying to be the watermark at all, I'm not, but when there are some times when people are just gathered around and there's no room for me together and there's no need for me together. There's Holy Ghost filled people and anointed, nothing in the preacher's hand. I might just steal away in an altar somewhere and just start praying. I'm praying for them. Amen. I want to intercede for them because I said a moment ago there's something going out. There's a battleground. There's a spiritual war. And so many times I'm not just praying for the person that's seeking for the Holy Ghost to pray and I'm praying for those that are praying for them. God strengthen them and God anoint them and let there be energy. Let there be some synergy. Amen. Let's stand together. Can we do that? Amen. God, I love you today and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I'm so glad, Lord. I'm so glad that when you moved upon my heart and life, God, to a place of true repentance, I'm so thankful there was a church that I could turn to. I'm glad, Lord, there were people here that were not only willing, but they were able and ready, Lord, to pray with me until, to be an intercessory voice, to speak, to touch our hearts and our lives. I'm asking you tonight, God, would you let your spirit touch this congregation? We have considered your word. Tonight, God, what we've talked about not been the ideas and philosophies of men, but God, we've just talked about your word and how it applies practically and spiritually to our lives and the lives of others. And I'm asking you, Lord, tonight to let the strength and the power of your word, God, the instructions tonight, would you help us, God, become better. Help us to be the bride you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.